In a world of downloadable and streaming singles, our hope with this podcast is to look a little deeper at what influences musicians and see the impact an album, as opposed to a single, can have on an artist's work. We're your hosts, Dave and Tom, and this is The Sound of It. The Cure are an English rock band formed in 1978 in Crawley West. Who doesn't know who The Cure is? Um, good, good point. Throughout numerous lineup changes since the band's formation, guitarist, lead vocalist, and songwriter Robert Smith has remained the only constant member. Yeah, Robert Smith. Um, you guys heard of him? He's only like you know one of the biggest artists ever. And uh, their bass player, Simon Gallup, has also been present for most of the career, except for like three years there in the band's history. It's like saying, uh, who's Bon Jovi? Seriously, okay. like, come okay. on. Okay, point taken. <laughs> yes, point taken. We are today talking about The Cure, one of the biggest bands, probably, if not in... Can we say the biggest, one of the biggest bands in the world? I don't know. Rock and Roll Hall of Fame seems to think so, so... Yes. And and right now, I mean, the last week, that's the only live shows I'm seeing anyone going to. is like everyone's going to The Cure. It's um, uh, They are back. Yeah. Back with a vengeance. It's a little bit of nostalgia, but also uh, they're still rocking. Yeah, the reviews have been spectacular for the new tour. And if you look so, into the band they, that Robert Smith put together now, you got Reeves Gabrell on guitar. Right. Like It's like a little super yeah. group there now. Yeah, he's a favorite of yours, right? Oh, so. yeah. Super cool. Yeah, it's uh, and that's the thing, right? I mean, I think there's a well-respected Robert Smith is a well-respected guy. The Cure are idolized, world world-renowned, and today we're going to talk about that band. If you don't know who The Cure is, yeah, I don't know where you've been. You make a good point, Dave. The Cure <laughs> are definitely there, and if you don't know who they are, just listen to this.
talking about today is their seventh studio album and that blew me away right away when i saw that this was their seventh album yeah kiss me kiss me kiss me um 
released May 26th, 1987. Um, And that didn't so much surprise me because they're a band who, if I were to name sort of five bands that encapsulated my high school experience, like a band that that for for my high school years were there and and people listened to and people identified with that it was the cure so the 1987 part didn't shock me it was the fact that this was their seventh album yeah (laughs) that blew my mind and then uh i realized later on that their um their sort of mid 80s singles collection greatest Mm -hmm. hits whatever you want to call it came out before this album staring at the sea yeah, staring at the sea, which was all, which almost made my list of uh, that greatest hits episode yeah. we did. I love that record. Yeah, it's. But I had it, no it, idea. Yeah, it comes right in that. There's a sweet spot there where, you know, they had head on the door, which mm-hmm. is I'm going to say that's when they, to pardon, you know, pardon the pun, but knocked on the door of worldwide fame. Yeah, mainstream. Success. Yeah, mainstream yeah. success, and then this one, kiss me, kiss me, kiss me. And then, of course, Disintegration is the album after this, which just right. was a monster, right? So yeah. you're you're catching them in their, you're catching Robert Smith and probably his most creative. The band at their, uh, the line as far as the lineup goes, probably the cl- like their classic lineup. Yeah, you know, people there's people that have favorite parts of the Cure's career, where because there's different members in the band, you know, some people love that that trio of the first album like boys don't cry or whatever but to me this is like just he managed to get these this group of people together and it's just for three albums it's magic yeah and this is the last uh album with Paul thompson the uh keyboard player Mm -hmm. uh where they switch over after this album and get to um get to that harder synth sound that i think is going to come along uh with the with uh with the next record right um of course for those of you who are maybe not as into your cure uh (laughs) they of course uh this is the album that's going to break them on the american really help stabilize them in the american mainstream it goes uh the top 40 uh achieves uh platinum certification and uh, and a number of big big hits off this record, um, co-produced by David M. Allen, who had done the Human League, Depeche Mode, and I think you really hear kind of his uh, stamp on, on a lot of this record. Um, received mixed reviews from critics at the time, but uh, like you said, it's sort of that classic album, three classic album lineup now. And don't forget, and- this is right in the middle of hair metal. True. Right. Yep. Like th- the fact that this exists at all is nothing. Like th- these three albums uh, exist at all, and the fact they have a this is their seventh album. Like this, mm-hmm. it's nothing short of a miracle that this this band just boiled up from the underground. And yeah. you know, th- there were so many bands. Like when Disintegration hit, that was just part of the tide that was on its way. Right. Soundgarden right. was coming out. Allison Chains, like the 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 Harder Seattle, Depeche Mode. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Depeche Mode getting a little darker, a little yeah. more. And I remember when, like, being introduced to The Cure by the people that introduced me. It was like, this was scary. These guys are really artsy, and they're and they wear dark clothes, and like, it's it's the caricature of the yeah. the Cure fan, right? Yep. But yep. for a while there, it was real. This was what these people 
dressed this is what they dress like and they just idolize this guy yeah and it's a it is interesting time too like you said we're in the sort of midst of hair metal we're also at like the height of 80s pop music i mean to think about the tina turner episode we did a few weeks ago um you've got david bowie becoming a pop star you've got michael jackson you've got all of that happening around this time and you kind of have i'm not going to say the death of new wave but certainly the down like the the downturn of new wave well new wave had become top 40 right exactly everything where like five years earlier a band like abc or something mm-hmm. would have been new wave, but now they're top forty pop, and they've oh, just that's right. tweaked that's right. that sound. So there's, there's just really nothing there. Mm-hmm. Yep, yeah. So I think they're sort of still the vanguards, trying to, uh, trying to sort of stay the course and stay kind of trying to be edgy and kind of post punky, but at the same time, um, if you listen to those first couple of albums, then listen to this. There's certainly a push to 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 gain some of that pop sensibility. Oh, there's and a I bigger, think, yeah. the bigger sound too. Right, 100%, right. More, yeah. more. They've gone from a trio to, you know, uh, five piece, and mm-hmm. they're just trying to fill out. He's just trying to fill out that sound, and it, right. it is Robert's band. Like it's, yeah. it's Robert. It really is. It, you know, yeah. so he calls the shots, and uh, you know, this album. It's a, it's a long album, but listening to it, I broke it up into like kind of two halves. So yeah. I would listen to the first half, kind of get up to like something like "Kiss Me, Kiss Me, Kiss Me," and then kind of repeat. And then for the last couple of weeks, I've just been kind of starting just around "Hey You" uh, and going on from there. And it's mm. almost like it's almost like it could be two or three different albums, right? Right. right. And it's um, and like you said, I mean, uh, uh, this is coming at a time where the reviewers don't know how to kind of what to make of, uh, of the band at this point. Um, like I said, it goes from not great reviews to great reviews. Fans tend to put it there as an essential album. Um, and still to this day, we talk about it um, as, as one of those quintessential records of the cure. And um yeah, it, it's it's the you know let's be honest, it's the album that I think really kind of makes them who they are and really kind of puts them in that pop echelon at this point.
Mark Bird is one half of America's ambient post-rock band Hammock, formed in Nashville, Tennessee in 2003. The band consists of composers and instrumentalists Mark and Andrew Thompson. Mark Bird and Andrew Thompson. Hammock's music is characterized by its, its ethereal, atmospheric soundscapes, lush melodies, emotional depth. Over the years, Hammock's music has been featured in various uh, films, television shows, documentaries, and commercials. Um, captivating soundscapes that kind of blend ambient music, post-rock. Um, and their latest album, Love in the Void, is their loudest album to date. We're honored to be joined by Mark Bird. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, guys. Thanks for yeah. having me. You're our first U.S. guest. Really? We've ever had on our show. Yeah, we've had Australians, uh, lots of Canadians, but never had an, uh, an American guest. So we're really excited to have you on the show. I'm sorry about that. No. <laughs> you're going to start the ball rolling for us. Hopefully. That's hopefully. it. Yeah, you're going to get things rolling. That's right. Uh, before we get to the album we're talking about today, what other bands and sounds have influenced your sound over what is now a, a relatively long career in the music industry? Uh, what other artists have shaped the, the music that you make, which I think we can safely say is, you know, not stuff we're hearing on radio all the time it's not like so how do how do you enter into that domain of music what's what type of music did influence you know uh you guys in those early years and i guess even through till now um well i mean i think that uh when i was um around 17 18 years old i started um experimenting with effects mainly like ethereal type delays and things and and i got the nickname mark 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 because i had so many delay you know, delays on it you know and so um, that's a witty nickname that's man good. that's a great yeah, nickname yeah. <laughs> and and so um uh i, I would say that like for for, for us the, the guitar players that are really big for us um are probably like uh well of course robert smith but um marty wilson piper and peter coppice from the church um, Johnny Marr uh, from the Smiths. Um, I would say even David Gilmore um, for the kind of ethereal thing. The layering aspect where we kind of do our layering thing is definitely comes from a Lindsey Buckingham closely listening to how he layers guitars. Um, mm -hmm. uh, and then, um, of course, you know, Brian Eno um which is just you know the name you drop whenever you're doing this type of music um <laughs> but uh you know like like i guess i guess i went through a period where where i began to listen to um like around the time the whole grunge thing happened i was into bands like curve ride slow dive um of course my bloody valentine chapter house um and bands that that just had this this and I found out Alan Mulder was had a lot to do with with shaping that sound. Um, Swerve Driver was huge. Great um, band, great band. And, and so, so anything that had like a non traditional approach to the guitar, um, that that kind of was like trying to take it further. Um, that's something that we've always been drawn to. And then, you know, later on it would be something like Cigaros, um, which you know we've we did a show for Yancey and at the time his partner, Alex, um, when we performed, maybe they will sing for us tomorrow for, for the after party that they were having at a, at, at, for their art exhibit. And when we came back from Nashville, we ended up making an album out of that, uh, out of the music we, we, we made just for them, you know? And so 
Um, but Sigaros was big. Uh, Mogwai liked them a lot. Um, but I'll be honest with you, like when, when we got tagged post rock, just to be completely thoroughly honest, um, I hadn't, I didn't know what that meant. I, I didn't even know what that was. Like, 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 and the uh, other people I got to say is Nick McKay from the Verve, the early stuff from the Verve. Um, and uh, who else? Um, let's see. Yeah, that's, that's, that's what comes to mind right now. I'm sure something else will come to mind, but, but, the post-rock thing that we didn't, we didn't know that we were doing, but we were doing, we thought we were doing more of like a shoegazy type thing. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and then we found out that we were really fans of a lot of that music. Um, another one I would say that that was pretty big for me was um, Billy Corgan from Smashing Pumpkins. I like, I like just, I mean, for me, Siamese Dream, I think is just one of the most thought out uh, guitar layered albums out there um and so yeah that would that would probably i like i like that mix and as you're naming all those you know people think you're you're talking about guitar players and people think the the guitar players that kind of expanded the art were like the joe satriani's the steve guys like play fast play as many notes as you can and that yeah. was the evolution of guitar, but it's interesting. No, the, there was this whole other layer of the evolution yeah. of the guitar, where it's like subtlety, yeah, you know, and yeah. different layer and different techniques, you know. Mm-hmm. That that to me start could could started with Andy Andy Summers from the Police too. The, his I, oh oh sorry sorry I have to say Andy Summers on behalf of Andrew. Andrew is a huge <laughs> huge Andy Summers, and I have a pink pair of converse in honor of andy summers also nice. so big, well, there, yes. yeah and and i'd say when he hit that was his style even though you don't really think and they got lumped in with punk yeah because at the start but like that's but not they punk. were they were too intellectual for punk yeah <laughs> way, way too smart yeah yeah and just then yeah uh johnny marr uh, lindsey buckingham i think is probably the greatest over or, sorry i was gonna say overrated that's wrong he's <laughs> the, the greatest underrated guitar yes. player he's so good people just don't know it that's and right you just sit there and listen to his solo stuff fleetwood mac stuff whatever it's just so that technique is so good and his style it's unrepeatable like no one can do that that's right. And then, and then a couple others I just want to mention are Michael Hedges and William Ackerman um, because of the alternate tunings. Um, uh, Michael Hedges blew my mind. Um, I saw him live twice. And uh, so, so that, once again, it's just this non-traditional approach to things. It's much more about tone, mood, Robert Fripp. Um, oh, yeah. be someone, like, like it's just much more about the tone, the mood, the atmosphere, and, and and really like like giving the instrument some some space to speak as opposed to because you know I mean I I learned scales and all that and Andrew and I you know we we occasionally when we're messing around trying to get a sound up we'll you know throw a little lick out there and just like yep you know but, <laughs> but we still but but really like we're just not that good as far as playing fast um, and I realized that, you know, when you're really young, you kind of go through a phase of like, I'm going to really master this and get my technique down and play fast. And then you just realize, like, what's what are my strengths? What do I do? And and and, and at a early age, people were asking for 
some music that I was doing in my bedroom just to take to accompany them like when they're going out and I say misbehaving as teenagers, you know, to to gaze at the stars and and um you know enjoy some some kind of uh chemical intake, you know. So <laughs> <laughs> that that's kind of like what really set me on the course of always in the back of my mind thinking about um wanting to do music with space, you know. Um, that's, and I mean, we take up a lot of space in the sonic landscape and certainly some of our more epic albums, but by space, I mean that mark, 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 that kind of just that really, um, there's a ethereal thing about it, you know?
now I, I'm having this image of my uh, of you in the in, in those early early nineties. The world is is all about you know screaming trees and big riffage, and here you are listening to these shoegazer British bands in in Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, walk us through how does a kid in Nashville, Tennessee, connect with shoegazer music? From, I'll, from I'll go Britain. even further. I wasn't in Nashville, Tennessee. Oh. I was even further south. <laughs> I was in arkansas i was well, in hot springs arkansas, arkansas. well hot springs and arkansas is the center of shoegaze british that's music right. <laughs> that's right and i'll be honest with you guys when when nashville scene finally did review one of our al albums they had no idea we from we were from nashville they didn't think we were from this country yeah. they were like they thought they were reviewing the band from europe you know from norway or something like that <laughs> ryan he said that too he's like i listen to your records and before I found out who you were, I just always pictured you guys, you know, like, you know, being a European band. And so how do you discover that? I'll tell you, um, I did like, I mean, I, I, I liked, you know, Nirvana, all that. I mean, I love Soundgarden, their approach to guitars. Are just, wow, Kim Thale, right? But, yeah. but see, of course, that's once again, almost, yeah, it's riffing, but this, this kind of non-traditional way of looking at things and different tunings, I thought that they were probably the best out of that batch. But, um, but I had a friend that worked at a record store mm. and he got to know my taste and uh, turned me on, you know, of course to the Pixies and, and things like that. And then as he figured out what I liked, he just kept suggesting some things. And then I took it from there and went further down that rabbit hole. And so um, while most people were driving around listening to whatever they were listening to in the early nineties, I was definitely listening to, I specifically remember, Swerve Driver, Storm in Heaven by The Verve, Curve, Ride, Chapter House, and Slow Dive. And and My Bloody Valentine, I loved it, but it wasn't my favorite of the shoegaze. It's 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 funny you mentioned the uh, the the Verve because the minute you said that, I thought of something like Gravity Grave, um, which to me I could certainly go, oh yeah, I could absolutely see where Hannah yeah. could be into something like that. Especially, yeah. I mean, the live version of Gravity Grave, which is I think a bonus yes. track that is just a stunning live it's version stunning. and and yeah. and i can absolutely see like every band in that sort of post-rock you know ambient you know yes. experimental music scene going wow that's like the the template for what we're going to do yeah we're going to do it for 30 minutes instead of for eight exactly <laughs> and 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 that's that's funny you say that because you know there's another song called beautiful mind off of their off of storm in heaven and he's doing these little picky notes that are that are just reverbed out that was just this one part was such an influence on me and i realized that there are these extended instrumentals in the cure uh from kiss me kiss me kiss me and disintegration and some parts in the verb and and i just andrew and i just decided one day like why don't we just make albums where we just do those parts all the time <laughs> you know what i mean it's like it's like it's like the things that are lighting us up musically in those songs let's just prolong that and keep doing that and why not and yeah, like, yeah. If that's you know you, you you talked about how you were just playing around with your music and you didn't realize someone else wanted to listen to that you didn't know you were on to something no and here's the same thing it's just like well what we really like those parts let's just keep doing that yes and that's to me very organic and and just real uh, i mean our first album was probably almost like an accident because we you know, Andrew and I have done stuff around town and, you know, I mean, it's music city. So you make a living if you're halfway decent doing music for other people. And, 
you know, it's a lit, I mean, I've worked in a factory and restaurants and I guarantee you working on music that maybe you don't like as a hired gun is a lot better than flipping burgers and digging a ditch. <laughs> right. Um, and so I'm grateful to be able to work on music, but what that did for Andrew and I is it gave us a singular vision of like, when we were done with that work, we would just go down in his basement because he has a studio, a little studio too. And we would just purge our demons by like just doing this stuff. And one thing was just the baritone guitar pieces that we did. And, and I got, I literally used to get hired to do effects for people. Like I wore out the holes on my jeans, crawling around the ground, assembling effects for different people <laughs> around town who were trying to create different sounds with guitars. And so I just did that, you know, with hammock and and what we ended up doing is like we had i don't know how many pieces recorded but it was in hindsight that we went hey you know what why don't we just put this out as a record you know and and that's what we did and uh yeah i mean it just kind of this is before streaming and all of that it just kind of took off it i mean not i won't say took off it's been a slow burn but it stood out i'll say that before we get to, to the record, you brought up that, that interesting point about playing a small part and just kind of, yeah, that's it. Let's just get into that. Uh, way back, we uh, there's a great uh, two great artists who I think you'd like from Canada called Sunsetter and uh, Zune. And we had both of them on the show. And both of them talked about that very essence with their music. And Zune talked about the hypnotic element yes. to, mm -hmm. to music. And particularly in making what he calls experimental music is that um because of his first nation uh background he talked about like the the first nation drum beat yeah being very like hypnotic but he said that's yeah. the same with guitar and he's a huge my bloody valentine fan and talked about that idea of the hypnotic state you kind of get into yes. when you're listening to music like this uh yes. and i guess that's what you're trying to get to as well with those little absolutely parts, right a absolutely and, and you'll hear when we get into the kiss me kiss me kiss me album that um <laughs> Uh, that hypnotic part, I, I went through a, a phase in my life. I'm not condoning what I did, okay, when we start talking about it. But I went through a phase in my life where I was, uh, let's just say, out of this world for a while. <laughs> so, so um, um, yeah, I think I've always been, like, chasing that kind of... I mean, the funny thing is about this music, you guys, is that, like, people think it has this... They say it's otherworldly or whatever. Mm -hmm. But the most common thing we get from people all the time i mean we get tons of messages from folks that say basically i was driving to work i've been driving the same route for five years i put your music on and i noticed a tree that i've been driving by for five years because mm -hmm. it slowed them down enough and put this in this kind of i call it like a contemplative kind of state where it's like it almost heightens your focus to notice things that are hiding in plain sight, you know? And so uh, I don't want to get too much like this serves a utilitarian purpose of wellness and health, you know, but the truth is, is that it, it, it can allow you to almost focus more on the world you're living in that you've been missing. And, in, and because it's so focused, it feels like it's ethereal, you know? We just had Stuart Chatwood uh, on last episode and he went on about the therapeutic properties mm -hmm. of music yes and he mm -hmm. like he's investigated that a lot uh worked with doctors and and different uh artists Partic particularly ambient music too, yeah, yeah absolutely so yeah. yeah i i can totally see what you're saying there well it's, we were asked to to do some music for some 
uh, psychedelic treatment that they're using that they're doing now um, and um, that's still on our agenda to do the the artist that we have signed our label <clears throat> slow meadow did it and it's really crazy because they can like take these you know stems that you're sending them and they can based on what's happening in the therapy session they can turn up parts of it and turn down parts of it you know and and create these these ebbs and flows and peaks and valleys depending on what might be coming up from the from the the the, the patient um like if it's a severe trauma that they're remembering they'll kind of soothe the music back and if they kind of are in a space where they're reflecting they'll make it a little more intense it's 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 very involved to get it right so you can put it on their their format but um i think it's beautiful that people are discovering that music has this kind of healing property um i think my biggest fear with with that being that it's all streaming now is that so many people are making playlist music music strictly for playlist you know and they think that just tinkling on a piano and putting a reverb pedal on it is like oh yeah you know like, That's like art. exactly <laughs> it's, it's not art and i i get it now if, if you want it to be strictly uh, just to serve a utilitarian purpose cool but like when we started hammock there's no playlist and honestly we weren't even thinking that we were going to ever make anything of this we just were doing it like you said the word you use organic it's truly was an organic thing of like well we just accidentally put together a whole record you know awesome. so let's let's talk about a record here okay. <laughs> that's the reason we've had you on here and right. in a couple of days you're going to see them live yes let's talk about uh we've had a span in the last couple of months on our show of 80s music so this is perfectly in theme with everything else what is it about the cures kiss me kiss me kiss me that made it the record of like because you're obviously a guy who has this huge swath of music where what was about this record that stood out for you as yeah this is the album i gotta talk about you know i i struggle with this guys like what i was going to talk about because integration is like more of the like when you think of like an album like departure songs that we did that's more of like the approach that we did kiss me kiss me kiss me is almost like a schizophrenic type record it's all over the place yeah. you know mm -hmm. yeah very much totally. so um but what did it for me is that I, i'm even going further south now i'm going to my hometown <laughs> el dorado arkansas and i'm talking like if you're a kid who likes poetry and weird music and psychedelics you feel like a weird person living in El Dorado, Arkansas. Really? And El Dorado, Arkansas, not known for that? <laughs> it's, you know, and, and here's the deal. We don't say El Dorado. We say El Dorado because the, the gold we dealt in was black gold, oil. oil. That's what it was. <laughs> okay, so yeah. you, you can't say El Dorado, the, the oh, true city of gold. It's El Dorado, the city of black gold. See? <laughs> okay. So... Just letting you know. Okay. There we go. That's, That's great for when I get there. I was about to, Dorado, I was about to book a right because you might get beat up. I was about <laughs> to book a plane because of the, the way you were building that up, I'm like, oh my God, this place sounds amazing. Oh, wait. No, if, if, <laughs> no. if, you, if you're a poet and into drugs, you don't want to go there. I got the hell out of there when I turned eight. It was 18. I'm like, well, I'm gone. <laughs> I, I got to get out. Um, uh, so, anyway, back to Kiss Me, Kiss Me, Kiss Me. Let yeah. me just say. All right. All right. So, I'm going to name drop. But I was talking to Greg Dooley the other day from Afghan Wigs, and and um, we were talking about how we're both big fans of the church, and how he's worked with Steve Kilby, and I've worked with Steve Kilby, and we had I'm really good friends with the drummer, and um and he was saying how he accidentally wrote the forward to Steve Kilby's autobiography by telling him not to write about his childhood, 
and and the the forward is don't write about your childhood nobody wants to hear about that and then kilby starts his chapter with i was born da, 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 and he goes into this story about him as a little boy so anyway we were talking about how like we were such fans of the church and but man the thing is for me is that i told him i said the one guy i've just never run into never got to meet is robert smith and i'm a huge fan and i have always been that but when I discovered The Cure, it was like so different and so, I mean, being in El Dorado, Arkansas, it was so, um, it was like an interruption in my life. There's a before and after, okay? So there's before The Cure and after The Cure. And and I would say also around that time, Starfish came out by the church. And I, as a matter of fact, when I was living with my grandmother, um, I remember on a video show that start that under the Milky Way and and just like heaven got played at the same time, you know, and, and um, so kiss me, kiss me, kiss me. I got it later, like a few months after it came out. And um, I only knew like just like heaven from it, you know, and so when I put it on and the kiss hit and it starts out so intense and so immediate as far as just this atmosphere that just wants to destroy you, you know, it just wants to like, do you have any adolescent angst? Well, get ready. <laughs> Here it goes, you know, and, 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 and I was immediately pulled in and, um, and I didn't, I didn't know what to do. I mean, I was just like, I felt like I'm listening to music that, that I wish that I, I made. I'm listening to music actually that I was kind of messing around with in my bedroom by myself, you know, and so um, that is what kind of drew me to it. And then the next song came on and it was completely different. I didn't know what to think about it. Um, but as I sat with that record, I can honestly say that that's a record that being a double album, I, I spent so much time with it. And being a double album, I spent time with the front of it. I spent time with the middle of it and I spent time with the end of it, if that makes sense, yep. mm -hmm. because there was so much material in there. And I, I, I mean, I know everything in that album. I have listened to that thing, but let me share with you guys why, um, the main reason. Are you ready? Okay. So yeah. ready. Uh, I, uh, I grew up in a fundamentalist home. Okay. And I wasn't allowed to listen to rock music. I had to hide my, I had to hide my albums. I, I, I got all my albums burned when I was 12. All right. Oh. In, a, in a fire. And so, uh, I lived with my mom and that was because of my stepfather who was a, a fundamentalist, um, alcoholic and, um, and basically, uh, was against anything that wasn't like Christian music. And so, I hid these albums, right? And so my mom and I finally got in this fight and it was really bad. And I said, why don't I go live with dad for a while um, until this blows over? And she goes, don't come back. So I left. And so when I moved in with my dad, I could listen to whatever I wanted, whenever I wanted. All right. I'm 17 years old and I'm, I'm finally free of a lot of stuff. All right. So this guy tells me, have you ever done LSD? And I said, um no and he said you should but don't do it by yourself don't ever do this by yourself don't ever take this by yourself so i was like i'm going to take it by myself 
and I sat in my room in the dark, 17 years old, and put that in my system. And I thought nothing's happening, nothing's happening. So I put "Kiss Me, Kiss Me, Kiss Me" on. And around the time that, um, uh, what song is it? Uh, Torture. I'm in a room without a light, right? So, so, so there's no light. So I'm in the dark. All right, I'm laying on my bed, and all of a sudden that kicks in. And then, if only tonight we could sleep starts. And now the bed is just completely disappearing and I am suspended in nothing but space, okay? <laughs> and I feel like those long instrumental passages of Kiss Me, Kiss Me, Kiss Me are speaking to me. Like the music, <laughs> not the part with the lyrics, but the, and I actually sat up at one time and said, what are you saying to me? I actually said that out loud. Um, this is such a vivid memory and it blew my mind. I mean, and then when Snake Pit came on, it's so droney. Yeah. And kind of Eastern, um, I started having thoughts that I had never had. Like I grew up, you know, like I told you guys, my dad was not into church and stuff. My mom was hyper into that. And I'm somewhere in the confused middle. And um, and I'm starting to have thoughts like, I think I'm one with the universe. Like that <laughs> happened on Snake Pit. I'm like, wow. You know, so I'm having these thoughts that I never had before. And I think that probably had it not been for that one night where not only was this album a before and after for me as far as music, but it was before and after me for an experience that I had. It, it's like, I can't listen to that album without that sense of just that, you know, floatiness. I mean, it pulls that out of me, you know? And so um, I, it's not just that it's an album that I love, which I do. Um, I think I probably like Disintegration more. That's probably my favorite Cure record, but but this is the one that probably means the most to me. Um, and uh, and and because of that experience, I decided to like almost give this album reverence, like a treatment with reverence, because it it fed me so much. So that's really the origin of why I thought, okay, still to this day, this is the album that kind of undid this kid from Arkansas to tell you that, hey, not only can you make an album, but you can make an album all over the place, approach the guitar in different ways, sing in, sing in a weird way. And the other thing I love about this album is, is this is the first album where Robert Smith admits in interviews that he decided to make his voice more atmospheric. Lots of delays to where almost the, the voice is much more of like an instrument than it is like this centerpiece, you know? And when you live in Nashville, Tennessee, it's all about this centerpiece, the vocal with the lyric clearly heard and the story and nothing wrong with that. But I'm not near as good a lyricist as a lot of people that live here. So I've always wanted to kind of like with Hammock, at least treat the vocal more like a part of the music bed, you know, and that's directly influenced from listening to Kiss Me, Kiss Me, Kiss Me. Best origin story ever. First off, <laughs> <laughs> you win. Uh and secondly, yeah, th what you say is, is right. Like the, and it's interesting you bring up disintegration because I hear uh, when I listen to this album, and th this is kind of when I got into the Cure as well, was this period more leaning towards disintegration. That's the first tour I saw them on, and uh, I probably prefer disintegration a bit better because the sound yes. that I think yes. starts here, yes, is really brought to the forefront on disintegration that big 
just yes. boom and you and you you've got song like the kiss starting off the album with that it's that long intro and yes I, and and it's you can see like yeah if you just made that bigger that's disintegration that's right right and yep. yeah but i'm i'm totally that where they they just threw out the rule book like that's right oh we got to get singing within 30 seconds or a minute at this time would have been like a minute long intros aren't cool watch this i i think the intro to kiss the to the kiss is almost four minutes long yeah that's it's not a to me i i, I when i was listening to it i'm just like oh is this was this an instrumental and then four minutes in yeah the, the vocals start up which yeah. is like oh it, it just to me it just reminded me of disintegration because they do that so much on disintegration is just these long intros which i think are great and they are hypnotic and and it's respectful of the music that's yeah. the thing mm-hmm. it's yeah. like like for me i had this epiphany you know when we first started hammock of like you know why is music treated like the appetizer you know just just the vehicle for the lyric you know that's not how it started it was music it was just it was just sound waves yeah. you know and these organized sound waves can can be done in a way that whenever they hit you it can literally make your chest hurt or give you a lump in your throat and that to me is just most mysterious still to this day of how and and it, and, and music is probably the most immediate of our forms because you can literally just step into a room where it's playing and you're immediately surrounded by it and you don't even really have to sit and think about whether you like a song if it immediately grabs you unlike sitting in front of a painting you know, where you have to kind of enter into the world and especially if it's abstract or enter into a poem where you have to read it or enter into a film. You can't get it. You can't immediately pick up on a film just after 30 seconds, you know, with the song. Boom, you know, right there, you know. And so to me, I think that that this album is really the place where I realized just music really, really matters. It's as much a part of pop music as the vocal and the lyric if you do it right, if you pay the respect to it. And so, and the other thing I think too, is that it's so scattered as far as moods, you know, it goes really up and it's, it has different sonic treatments um, uh, that, that when we decided to do just an ambient album, minimal, like maybe they will sing coming off of raising your voice, trying to stop an echo, which is more of guitars. I was like, who cares man you know and then when we decided to put a choir and do more of an orchestral type of thing after departure songs which was a big guitar record it's all because i just thought you know what robert smith did that on one album Mm -hmm. all over the place you know so who cares you know and and if we're not if we're going to stay self-released like we do because we've been offered deals why not continue to use that to do whatever you want to do (laughs) <laughs> well, you know? yeah. and people have to be used to that now to me that's endearing it's like oh then the next song isn't like this yes it's not just yeah. like the album is a piece like this album didn't sound like that album no this song doesn't sound like the next song to me that's that was what was interesting about radio especially like uh quote unquote on unter- alternative radio back in yes. the day, college radio university radio you could get away with putting a cure song next to an Iron Maiden song, and it that's would be, right. It would be fine. And th- speaking of that, that, those are two bands that were big in my life in my teenage years. Same. So, <laughs> but it's also interesting though to think of that as as the label at the time being allowed to give that freedom to its artists, right? To be able to say, "Yeah, sure, you want to do a double album? Yeah, why not?" And you know, and, and for it to be 
you know, like imagine we, Dave and I often say this about a lot of records. Imagine being that record exec sitting around for the first four minutes of the kiss going, gentlemen. Uh, yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but, uh, exactly. We spent a lot of money on this record. <laughs> yes. Are we getting something? And then finally getting like, you know, why can't I be you going, okay, there we go. All right. <laughs> we got a hit. Boys. And that's the other reason that I love this album because why can't I be you drew this dancing thing out of me you know i remember being in a place where people were dancing i mean ecstasy probably helped a little bit too but um but but those two things combined like i remember that's the first time that i danced in public with wild abandon like i don't i don't care you know and 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 so i i guess just for me it, it, there's so much life experience attached to this album that I can't help, but like, it makes a good, interesting conversation, you know? <laughs> yeah. Well, I couldn't help but think when, when you said your album pick, the first thing that kind of popped into my head was, uh, and you're absolutely right. This album, the musicianship on it. But what was odd to me is that you picked an artist who is, if, if I go around and ask a hundred people about the cure, the one thing that they can identify in the cure is Robert Smith, the lyricist, the centerpiece of that band. The only guy who's been with every single one of these albums. Right. And I mean, and they're a band that are known for that lead singer, that enigmatic lead singer. And yet you're a band who, um, you're known for your the sonic sound stage. So I thought it was really interesting that you said his voice being used here as an instrument. That kind of is okay. That makes sense now with yes, with this choice as a record too, right? Yeah, I mean, I just think that if you took the vocal out of disintegration, it would still be an amazing record. Mm-hmm. That's the thing about you know, and and there's there's pieces on um, like. If only tonight we could sleep that I guarantee if you took his vocal away, it it still is just this mesmerizing piece of music that will stand up on its own. Mm -hmm. Um, And and, and really, when you when you at least for me, when I've listened to him talk, Robert Smith, talk about how he does, he did kiss me in in disintegration. He kind of keeps his lyrics and things like that to himself until he gets almost a full kind of uh you know sonic palette to work with so that when he goes in to sing the lyric it's only three to five passes at most so that it's a performance right and i know guys that like sing it when they're working on the record and they're singing it again as the record's getting developed and they sing it again and then whenever it comes time to finally do the vocal there's like this kind of robotic nature to it that instead of uh, responding to the new palette they're still thinking about the way they sang it on the old one and mm-hmm. it doesn't kind of ride the music the way it's supposed to. And I think that if you're going to be in a band like The Cure where sonics are so important, it's as if the vocal serves the music rather than the music serving the vocal. Yeah. That's that's what I love about it. Yeah, and I think at this is seven albums in for them now at this, yeah. point, at this point, right? They've learned some stuff. And yeah. this is that period, I'd, I'd say, with Head on the Door, Kiss Me, Kiss Me, Kiss Me, and Disintegration, like this is that period where they could just do no wrong but smith you know there's been there had been musician changes in the band he'd got this lineup like drumming wise i think these three albums are just perfection absolutely absolutely that's that's where it really like the drumming took a it went to another level for sure totally and and you know the thing about it is like like they did this album 
also what I love about it is I found that, you know, I found it out this, I guess, pretty early is that they, they recorded at kind of a winery, like, like a, like a, a vineyard, you know, like it wasn't a standard big studio and, and I've made records both ways, but like, and when I moved to Nashville, there, the big thing was recording a record in a, in a home, you know? And I mean, literally I've slept in a studio for three months on a blue air mattress you know, working on a record for someone and it was in a home, you know, and, and that's what you did. And there's something about having the freedom of camping out and just immersing yourself in that world without the interruptions of going home. And even with Love in the Void, our our most recent record, after the pandemic, Andrew and like, we, we, let's go into, let's please, let's get out of our spaces, go into a real studio, live with humans and just 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 work 18 hours a day you know and just do it like we used to do when we were younger guys you know and i think there's another thing i, I think that's interesting is pornography was made when robert smith was 19 you know um disintegration was made when he was you know 29 um and and there's these periods of like uh it felt to me like he kind of was it's almost like there's there's a the reason it's almost feels reckless is because he's like I got to get all this stuff out because I'm about to turn thirty and my life's going to end you know, and 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 he he really thought that way I thought that way I mean I think we all have like oh my god you know and life keeps happening and you, and we make up these imaginary marks in our life of like well it's probably going to be all over at this point so I better do what I can and I kind of think it's endearing to think that every time you go in to make a record, it could be your last one mm -hmm. because it does something. There's this desperation to it that it's like, you, you really got to get what's in you out and get it right. Um, because this could be it, you know? And that was a period in the eighties <clears throat> and later seventies where a musician and artist was given the time. Yeah. That's you want right. to take six months in the studio? We'll pay for that. It better pay and, off, but we'll pay for it. That's right. And I and Andrew and I always say, you know, like um, time is music's friend. Most of the time. I'm not. Yeah. Now, if you're like a wild punk band, you go in and, and, and there's it's all about energy and immediacy. Great. But when you're making music in this way, um, time is your friend most of the time because you can go in and, and, and just torture yourself over a, a one part and then have five days working on something else and go back and you have time to replace it, do it over because you've, you've worked everything out in your head. If you don't allow yourself to have that time, you'll end up settling, you know, for certain things. And, and um, the other thing about this record is that the B sides are freaking amazing. Um, like Snow and Summer, Sugar Girl, Japanese Dream, Breathe, Japanese Dream and Breathe. Those are the two standouts for me. Um, a Chain of Flowers to the Sky. Phenomenal. They're all great. You know, I mean, he was on fire at this time. Like doing a know? double album and then all these B-sides, too, that weren't yeah. even showing up on the album. Yeah. Like he probably could have done a, a four album set, right? Like That's right. Yeah. That's, That's prolific. Right. That's prolific. That's right. And And then the other one, you know, I mean, a lot of things stand out in this this record um but as far as beauty like um a thousand hours i just think is is a gorgeous song um the scents on that song are amazing um and and the vocal is big um 
And then there's this guitar that comes in right before the vocal quits. That is just so I love it when something comes in right at the end because it, it leaves you wanting more, you know, like the stones doing that, that on their fade outs. So I add some extra thing. You're like, whoa, you know, and you lean into it to hear it. I love it when that happens. Um, but the other one I think that stands out to me because I was in my adolescence when I when I discovered this album um, and some people think it's cheesy and it is to a certain extent is the last out song on the record fight. Um, once again, you guys know the back backstory now that I had been asked to leave my mom's house and to move in with my dad. And I was not, I mean, my stepfather was not a great guy. And so that song was such a stay, uh, um, keep going, but at the same time, you know, make your own way, fight, you know, and, and, and man, when you hear it at 17 years old, uh, and you got all that stuff going on around you and your family, you know, and you're, you're and you feel not only in your family, but like in that hometown where I, I was, it was like, man, just hang on, you know, because you're going to have your life if you get out and, and, and go escape all of this. And so, that song always felt like somewhat of a, of a lifeline for me, you know? Um, and once again, his vocal is gigantic on that. So it's, it's interesting you say that. Cause that's, um, that's always been sort of the, the shot fired against Robert Smith, right? Is the, Oh, it's depressing. It's dark. It's, yeah. it's, it's moody. It's, uh, um, but yet here you are saying that that was actually what made it for you such an important record at the time absolutely absolutely and i also think that i mean they've, they've done studies that when you're sad and you listen to sad music you know it actually it, it benefits you you know mm -hmm. to do that and the, the, it spoke to a generation of people That's trying right. to figure things out like for sure depend if you weren't in the, the cool kids growing up in the 80s like we you just didn't you thought you were alone there was no social yes. media. There was no nothing. There wasn't yeah. the internet. You just thought you were the the only person out there. But then you found this album and like, no, there's this guy and he's saying things I think. And yeah. I don't know if you saw when they were inducted in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Oh, yeah. Trent Reznor's uh, yep. uh, opening speech. It was the mid-80s and just being able to tune into college radio made my head explode with limitless possibilities. This was my baptism into the world of alternative and underground music. The sounds that informed what Nine Inch Nails would eventually become. And one of the most important aspects of being swept away by this tidal wave of new music was getting to hear The Cure for the first time. Immediately, this band struck a deep chord with me. The first album I heard was The Head on the Door. And I hadn't heard anything like it before. Now, a lot of darkness I felt in my head was coming back at me through the speakers and that blew my mind. It was like this music was written just for me. You know, you know I've struggled my whole life with feeling like I don't fit in or belong anywhere, kind of like right now. And, and Hearing this, suddenly I felt connected and no longer quite so alone in the world. That's one of the things I find so unique and special about the power of music. But, uh, 
it wasn't just the sound, the words, the presentation. All of it was anchored by the most exquisite of instruments, Robert Smith's voice. That voice, capable of such a range of emotion from expression, from rage, sorrow, and despair, to beauty, frailty, and joy. It might sound naive, but until I heard the head on the door, I just didn't realize it was possible to write about such difficult and profound ideas, but do it in the context of accessible songs that might even get played on the radio, challenging norms from the inside. Another huge inspiration for me. Like you just said it all. He spoke for a generation yeah. of kids. It's that. It's beautiful. Yeah, it, it was amazing, and and uh, that's that's all there is to it. He just spoke. Robert managed to speak for a generation of kids and people who just thought they were alone. And, and the other thing too is just his his singular focus of just it's almost like Robert Smith occupies his own universe. You know, <laughs> like like that's just. Like when you think about the cure, you're thinking like, I mean, really, it's rare that something that kind of like originality and then just to hold on to it, but also to grow and change. And, 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 you know, uh, I, I mean, I'll say that, that I'm not their, their later albums. I'm not huge fans of, you know, fan of, but you know, I, I will say I did revisit the cure, the title, the cure, the cure, the self-title not too long ago. And I actually appreciated the rawness to it. And I found myself liking it more because what I do with so many albums from bands that I love is that I'll put it on with an expectation. Yeah. And that expectation will keep me from hearing what they decided to do because mm. I'm too busy thinking they should have done what I wanted them to do. Right. But, but if I set those records aside until I just like let that settle, I find myself always finding something to appreciate and the bands that I'm really, you know, Radiohead is the same thing. Um, yeah. I, I, I can adjust myself to their vision if I allow myself enough time to get over what I was hoping or expecting it to be, you know, and that keeps me from having a closed mind. Well, you have to, you can't for, for bands like Radiohead, uh, the cure, a lot of those uh, underground bands from the eighties, you couldn't expect the same the album next to be like that the last one right you had to go in with an open mind and you were rewarded for it and i'm sure they also lost fans too oh yeah like they probably lost fans from like pornography when head in the door came out and it was a a, a big change musician well, kiss me kiss me kiss me with just like heaven so many people were saying i, I think they've sold out i think they've sold yeah. out yeah yeah and i'm like have you heard the kiss? Well, yeah, listen to the rest of the album, right? Like yeah. that's just one song. But yeah. uh yeah, you you can you'd know that they would lose some fans, but the ones that stuck with them and stayed with them for the next whatever many albums, those are the fans. Those are the super fans and they're still getting something from this. And I also think that 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 there is a self like a, a an awareness that you play the game to a certain extent so that you can keep playing the game you want right and 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 he just gave him a little bit of just like heaven you know and and that expanded his audience and he ended up when disintegration hit he ended up like people who would probably never listen to this type of stuff because of that one song 
he pulled them into his universe. That's what I love about it, you know? And that's the thing, I think even with Hammock, it's like, do I expect everybody to get this? No. I forget sometimes that it is left of center, you know? But I'm never going to just say, don't come in. The invitation's always there. But I, I really would prefer having people who choose to enter into our world, you know, and 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 have fewer people with that kind of mindset because that's the key to longevity because you get people to stick with you because you're not insulting their intelligence by putting out a bunch of crap, you know? Um, so, um, and I feel like kiss me, kiss me, kiss me does not insult intelligence in the least bit. If anything, it's such a challenging record. It's telling, it's like almost saying, Oh yeah. You thought that last one made you want to, you know, um, jump out a window and run away and catch some things on fire, you know, well, this one's going to make you fall madly in love with the girl sitting next to you. You know, that, that, I mean, I just love how all over the place it is. Whereas disintegration is like, <laughs> buckle up. Here we go. Yeah. It's going to get icy. This is a real you well, know, atmosphere and, it, and we're not going to let up. Like I just remember putting disintegration on for the first time. And there's that gut punch where like you just, it's quiet little bells and then a symbol and, Someone Boom. just like just like someone just punches you in the <clears throat> face and yes. hang on. Yes. Yeah. I th I think you've already answered this question when you talked about a thousand hours and fight. Uh, it, it, are those your favorite songs on the record? No, no. I, I I think I think I think fight was my seventeen year old version of one of my favorite songs on there. You know, I still yeah. appreciate it, but my favorite songs on that record are. Um, kind of the left of center types. I love uh, like cockatoos. I love um, if only tonight we could sleep. I love the kiss. I really love snake pit, but people, a lot of my friends thought that drone's on too long, man. You know? And I'm like, well, it <laughs> obviously influenced hammock. Know your audience, <laughs> right? Uh... <laughs> I love snake pit. I think that's my favorite song on the album. Yeah. I love snake pit. I, I mean, as a matter of fact, I, I love all I want. And, and I, the story for that is, I remember when I first heard that, I thought, God, what a ugly <laughs> guitar sound. Like, oh, my. what? But it's almost so ugly, it's beautiful. You know what I mean? It's like, it's yeah. like wow. And and I think that, you know, being 17 years old and, and uh, obviously based on what I've told you guys, I was going for it at the time. Um, that all I want is like that kind of, of – uh, call to like just throw all caution to the wind for this one night you know let's just go out and just see what happens and live like like we don't have parents live like we don't have school you know and and uh so all i want was huge uh so yeah i think those are kind of like the highlights uh and a, a thousand hours um what else why can't i be you and um we're hot, 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 icing sugar. I like that there's this funk thing. I mean, as a matter of fact, with hot, hot, hot on icing sugar, I met this popping, slapping bass player, you know, yeah. when I was 18. Yeah, yeah. And I would, I would combine those two kind of funk parts, guitar parts that are in those two songs, you know, and I thought, like, like he's a really great musician. This is going to be cool. And then he starts just 
pop, 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 popping, you know, and I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm done. I can't. I, well, <laughs> hot, hot, hot. I'm sorry. Hot, hot, hot. Like, now it sounds like the Red Hot Chili Pepper is like, I couldn't get over because I yeah. forgot that song existed. Yeah. And then when I was like, oh, yeah, this was like the fourth single. And I'm like, yeah, this is absolutely like I you can almost hear Flea sitting in a room somewhere. Go, whoa, that, that, what is that? <laughs> For sure. Totally. Totally. And once again, I didn't expect that. You know, yeah, I mean, exactly. Right. Um, um, yeah, it's, uh, that's, that's just, this is a weird take on this question. You're going to see them this Friday. What's the one song you want to hear? Disintegration. Yeah. Okay. Nice. There you go. Nice. I'm pretty sure you'll hear it. Yeah. That's, that's, yeah. Yeah. I, I've, that's I've looked at the, oh, I've looked at the open. set list. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm hoping that, I mean, that's that, that song for me, uh, I was going through a real, my first really, I mean, I've, I've had breakups, but this was my first big breakup and that song my god the hours i listened to that song disintegration <laughs> lord that just says it all right there that is the classic the cure <laughs> yeah that's you know, exactly right <laughs> throw on a black yeah. t-shirt and some, some yeah. eyeliner and you're that's there. right man <laughs> i mean i almost was like hey Andrew, for love and the void photo shoot, we should finally put some eyeliner and lipstick on. <laughs> I never got to do that, you know. I'm like, come on, we got to make up for last time. You know? right. <laughs> um, I have a one weird question for you as a guitar guy, and uh, one of my favorite covers ever is Dinosaur Junior's version of "Just Like Heaven." I wondered if you know it, and if you is it a travesty or is it? No, I like it. Yeah, okay. I, but, I like it. I also like Deftones cover of, of Only Tonight We Could Sleep. Oh yeah, okay. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a good one. Um and I mean, you know, my understanding is that Robert Smith kind of likes it when people cover his, his music because yeah. he hears it in a different way. I'll tell you what I did last night, knowing that this was coming up with you guys, is that uh I got on Apple Music and they have, you know, videos on there of them playing live, but like I think it's probably back in the Bloodflower days, um, that album, because he looks younger. But two songs stood out for me as far as just his guitar work. And that was If Only Tonight We Could Sleep and The Kiss. And I was blown away at how well he uh, pulled, the, pulled those off, particularly the experimentation If Only Tonight We Could Sleep. What he's doing, he's playing these scales, and, and, but he's got this great atmosphere and effects on it. I mean... Um, and and you know the guy that that plays guitar for him now I can't remember his name he's 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 older but he used to live in Nashville and that was the thing that he said he said what people don't realize is that Robert Smith's a really good guitar player yeah, um, absolutely and 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 I say that in 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 the way that Robert Smith is a really good guitar player because he plays like Robert Smith right yeah super original right yeah. Mark, um, I can't thank you enough, man. This was a great, great this was conversation. Amazing. Thank you yeah, for terrific. thank you for opening up. And yeah, yeah. Great stories. Awesome. Awesome. Hey, well, uh, before from, we do it, do you guys oh, yeah. know the band Science Spheric? Science Spheric. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. That's, they're band. Canadian, right? They are Canadian from Hamilton, yeah. just down the road. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that, have, that that was what I was listening to around the time that I decided I wanted to start Hammock. Um, oh, nice. They're I had. Great heard, I mean, I, I discovered them late, you know, and yeah. You know, some of their albums are like, you know, really lo-fi. They had that one, I guess, that was where the lead singer disappeared. But um, anyway, I was just curious if you guys yeah. 
knew about them. Yeah, they're a great band. Uh, there was Did you guys know that our first album, Canonic, the photo shoot, was in Montreal and Quebec? I had no idea. That? No. no that's no, awesome. The cover of Canonic is in Montreal. And there's, uh, yeah, I mean, I, we stayed in old Montreal. My friend Thomas, who's a photographer, we just came up and we spent a week and um, I, I've, I've been sober for a while now. I just want you guys to know that. But, <laughs> but, um, but at the time, you know, when we were in old Montreal, we had a really great time there and we went over to Quebec. And, and so, yeah, all those photographs are from that time are from oh, very cool. being in Canada. Yeah. There was a great band up uh, also called the Peter Parkers around that time that kind of did the science Eric thing as well. Okay. Yeah, they were great. They were a great band too. Thanks again, man. This was awesome. It was such a pleasure to talk to you. I know when I sent you that message a while ago and you said you were interested, I was like, "Yes, this is great." Hey, so this I was just, a blast. I love it when when music is talked about in a in a kind of with reverence and and yeah. you know, it's important. You know, like to to the people who are talking about it. Uh, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I jump on things like this. This is actually fun for me. Fun too. All Absolutely. Right. <laughs> Okay. Thanks again, Thank Mark. Thank you very Appreciate much, it. Mark. See you guys.
that was a terrific interview. And I love the fact that, uh, um, I love it when we talk to an artist and their emotional connection to the record just shines through. And that's, I, I love that about that interview we just had with Mark. It just, that how goes, much, yeah. Yeah. That goes for me up there with Dan Mangan and uh, the brutal honesty and, uh, but also some lightheartedness too. And, mm-hmm. yeah. and yeah, that was super fun. And uh, again, apologies, and- Mark, we had to cut you off. <laughs> i could talk is... to him for another hour it oh exactly um it is interesting though that uh, the emotional connections he put to this record yeah. and i feel for me that's one of the things that the like cure fans are rabid <laughs> you know they are yeah they are fans they're connected and you know what all the i mean if you think about even what's happened in the last couple of months with Ticketmaster and and Robert Smith coming to the defense of Cure fans and saying they deserve money back. I mean, what a there, there's a great respect between him and his fans and his fans and him. And I think that's really, uh, I think that really came through in that interview there. Uh, that that mutual respect for one another. Um, I'm also intrigued by something he talked about with being the music taking him into this kind of otherworldly place and i've heard that from other cure fans before as well where it's it it's it grounds them it's it's almost like they're talking in a spiritual sense and for me i'll be honest i never got that from the cure because i wasn't one of the rabid cure fans and that goes back i'll be perfectly honest it's an ignorant comment on my part but it goes back to high school where you know 1987 when I go into high school, I'm picking picking my groups to be part of, picking my hmm. music I'm going to listen to. Your tribe. You're picking your tribe. And my tribe, yeah, if you will. And that's when the Cure fans for me were, whoa, what is, what's what's going on there? They're really intense. And, yeah. Well, it's because yeah, uh, they're all, if you're a Cure fan in, in 1985, 86, 87, you're probably a Smiths fan. Yep. There's a yep. little event. You probably got a little Joy Division in New York, New Order <laughs> in there too. Yeah. So absolutely. it's you were like, listening to the best music, to be perfectly honest. Seriously, <laughs> but at the time that was a lot. Yeah, that's right. That's <laughs> so. right. And I think for I mean, when all the pop culture that was being fed to us was shiny happy people and right. and that pop sensibility of the world around us and and smiling and just taking on and then seeing that side of things, there was almost like a whoa, I do I didn't want to associate with that, right? So I, for years, was very much a kind of like, nah, it's it's just, it's not my thing. It's not my thing. It's not my thing. Until years ago, I, I can't even remember how I got staring at the sea in my CD collection, but I was like, man, this record is great, and I started to suddenly realize they're one of those bands that if I could go back and and talk to young Tom, I would smack him the side of the head and go, no, no, no. Trust me, <laughs> go listen because I didn't really get it at the time, but in retrospect, I, I I really get it now. Yeah. Um. And I mean, now as a forty year old man trying to like listen to that music and and bring ourselves into this ethereal plane or whatever, I just get it doesn't have the same effect as it no. would have when I was you know seventeen or something like just that. good memories to me. Uh, like I I've only seen the Cure once and it was on the Disintegration tour, mm-hmm. and just yeah, it was an incredible show. And it blew me away. And yeah, 
it was just like I said earlier, it's just those three albums for me. After that, I kind of lost the plot with The Cure. Uh, they went a little too poppy there for a little while, disappeared, came back, disappeared. So, but yeah, there's just something about these three albums for me and the people I met at the time that were Cure fans that introduced me to this. And yeah, it was all in high school, right? So it's, mm-hmm. yeah. it's, uh, and it just takes you back. This is pre-internet and these people, you couldn't find a place, you know, like we said earlier during uh, chatting with Mark and we talked about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame induction with Trent Reznor giving right. a speech. And it's like, that could have been any Cure fan I went to school with right. saying those things because that that's just the way it was. It was, it was so impassioned. You right? couldn't find, there was no MySpace even. There was no mm-hmm. internet. There was nothing. You there was, there was nowhere else out there. So this, you had to search this music out and you found it and it just spoke to you. If you were that yeah. kid who felt you had no friends and everyone just thought you were weird, you know, listening to The Cure probably didn't help much. But but it there was just something that helped get you through, like most music. Yeah. You know, like yeah. it just it just helps you get through your day until you realize that until things just get better. It's also I mean, one of the things I've respected over the last, you know, 10, 15, whatever many years that I've started to listen to the cure is the also the wit and the sardonic wit <laughs> of, of Robert Smith. I mean even when he was sort of waging sort of passive aggressive war with say Morrissey over the years, he would be like, I just don't like, you know, I don't get this. It'd like be kind of snippish, but at the same time, quite witty. I always just thought, man, this guy, this guy's, this guy's funny. And I must admit, like I mentioned in our interview there, I, I asked, um, I asked our guest Mark there about, uh, about his, his reaction to the dinosaur junior version of just like heaven. And I remember when I first heard that as a big Dinosaur Jr. fan, I was like, I don't, uh, okay, what, why, why, why is, why is Dinosaur Jr. covering uh, The Cure? <laughs> I, I didn't kind of, that, that connection never made sense to me. And then as I've started to listen to them more, I'm like, oh, that's why. There's so much here where you could see those early days of alternative rock that I just never took them for. Uh, because I don't think they're singles really played up to that right but i think some of the deep cuts particularly this record showed me oh that's where that was coming from that's where that love was coming from yeah and i i I would say on kiss me kiss me kiss me i was going through it just before we kind of got together and there was a wasn't a song on here where like that was terrible Mm, to me right there was like there's like they were all good and then there was the really good ones Mm, okay. it, it just like it like i said it's a long album which is usually not my favorite but for some reason uh it everything just clocked in perfectly and you'd you'd be waiting for the the next one like like i said i kind of i went for the back half so you got one more time like cuckatoos icing sugar with that incredible drum lead into the song by mm. boris williams is just so much fun to listen to perfect girl and and it starts off with great too, like the kiss catch. If yeah. only tonight we could sleep. Like why can't I be you? A classic. And yeah, it's it was just amazing how I'm like, oh yeah, this is a great album, and it's it's a double album. Like, it's a long album, and yeah, it is. Yeah, he just nailed it. 
Yeah, it's a, and I think that's where reading some of the reviews from back then came from of critics sort of saying it's a little long in the tooth. Um, you know, I even read a comparison to the White Album that said it just is a, it's just a little long and stay and overstays its welcome. But you're saying you didn't get that from it? No, not at all. I right. like I said, it was just the way I listened to it. I felt I mm-hmm. broke it up into two albums. I would kind of get to the end of like I, like I said, hot, hot, hot. And then I would kind of go back to the beginning and listen to it over again. And then I just let it go one day. And yeah. uh, and then after that, I was kind of starting over at All I Want because that freaking guitar intro on it is yeah. so sweet. Yeah, and, and every So you've got, you've got a song like Just Like Heaven, All I Want, and Hot, Hot, Hot. There's three songs that shouldn't be on the same album according, Agreed. To, according to some people's yeah. model Agreed. of how you make an album. And that is the thing. I find this album, as long as it is, it also it flies all over the place. Like Mark talked about the opening with that crunchiness and the, um, I mean, it's such a strange lead off track and it sort of shows a, um, a band that's, that's kind of coming at you. Yeah. Uh, but then, like you said, you get like, why can't I be you with that? Like horn line so, yeah. is just so well, poppy. Well, same right? with uh hot, 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 right. Well, the, hot, hot, the, hot. The, like the horns the are, the horns that's... are the hook. On yeah. that song, and it's this is a this is a funk song. Oh, it sounds like Red Hot Chili Peppers. Oh, totally. Uh, yeah, hot, yeah. hot, hot sounds just like the uh, the Red Hot Chili Peppers to me. Uh, and I'm with you. All I want that song, um, that guitar is just killer at the start. And yeah, yeah, I can completely see. That's the one where I heard and went. That's there's where I could see the Jay Maskuses of the world, the the Thurston Moors of the world, maybe going. Oh yeah, yeah. I yeah. like that, right? Yeah. Whereas I wouldn't have necessarily put those two in the same camp. And long. does it ever sound fresh? You know what I mean? I, like you, I, yeah. you, let, you listen to a lot of albums from the eighties. I think mm-hmm. uh, I'm getting a head nod from you. Like, oh, maybe not. But uh, no, you go ahead. I've got so, just have yeah. one thing. I think I spoke to you about earlier. But go ahead. As I, as I'm going through it, I'm like, it doesn't, it doesn't sound dated. Like if you told me this was maybe from the mid nineties, I'd I believe you. Yeah. Uh, but it ju- and it just it seems to stand the test of time. Uh, that guitar riff is not that perfection that mm-hmm. the top forty hair metal bands were going through. That you listen to now, like there isn't a good sounding quote unquote metal album out there in the eighties, as far as I'm concerned. You know, maybe Iron Maiden or something. But uh, all the bands. They were all just, it was, it was, they were just going for such perfection and using the studio, the, oh God, Def Leppard, right? Right. Was just overproduced. Lying and, lying, yeah. Yeah, like, exactly. Sound, yeah. And, but in here, in this little track, it's just a, a rocking guitar intro that's a little sloppy, a little off. But well, just... that's how even Robert Smith's voice has always been like that too, right? Where yep. he's eh, and he like winds it up and gets high and pitchy, pitchy at points, and that's yeah. that's part of his delivery, and that's what makes him. And it just Robert works Smith. on this yeah. album. And like I say, you got head, you got head in the door, you got kiss me, kiss me, kiss me, all leading up to, you know, the intros on this on this album are a little longer. Mm-hmm. You know, you'd never do that these days. Have this right? Oh, agree. Two minute long intro to a song and then the lyrics start that's crazy certainly not for a big record company a big record never never happened and uh i i believe this was just the 
the precursor to disintegration where it's like, well, let's go. I love the, it's like, he's just sitting there, man, I love the sound of this guitar and I'm just going to keep playing it because it just sounds good. Okay. I guess I'll start singing. Which it makes sense to what Mark was talking about. Right. And that's what, that's what he and, and hammock are trying to do. Right. Right. Uh, So is, is to, to get into that looping, but you can, of the music, you right? can see how band you like you were saying, Jamie, like how did Dinosaur Jr. get into this? But this is just one of those bands that everyone's into, but the music they make sounds nothing like it. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Like everyone was, you know, coming out of the late seventies, a lot of cool bands loved uh like talking heads loved the punk scene. Mm-hmm. But they weren't punk. Yeah, that's right. Pretenders, same thing. They yep. found like the pop sensibility side of it and just went with it but there was just that energy there was something in that in that music that inspired them to go for it yeah you talked about the the sound of the record i generally agree with you i think it does <laughs> sound uh very modern and i think it could pass for a record today um my issue with with one of the issues i have with the cure over the years has been um those albums, particularly Head in the Door and this one, uh, come at a time when the answer in the studio to every question of how do we get this sound is keyboards. So it's like, hey, we can't, if we should we get a string uh, ensemble? No, just do keyboards. Uh, should we get a fiddle? No, just do keyboards. Like, so it's always keyboard, keyboard, keyboard. And that, there's parts of this record where I'm still like, so is that trumpet or is that keyboard? I'm pretty sure it's trumpet. And there's parts in the record where I just find the keyboard is a little too, uh, I don't know what the word is I'm looking for, but it, it seems to, it seems to me that that's what they're going. It just, it's so obvious. It's not the instrument it's supposed to be. Right. And that, that to me is, shows up a little bit here. And when it does, that's the one thing that frustrates me a little bit is some of the keyboard sounds. Um, and I, I went on, when I said that to you in a chat, uh, you said, well, you've got to listen to the next record, Disintegration. Then when I did, you were right. I think the, the keyboards on that album are much more together um, and much more um, in sync with the sound they're going for, as opposed to just, you know, just flip your Casio switch to whatever the instrument we want to have is and, and yeah. play it. Well, like you listen to Disintegration and the first song is Plain Song where the keyboard synth just smacks you in the face. Yeah. And that's why I really believe like that was the sound he was going for mm-hmm. all yep. along. And he was trying to get there. To me, it's, that's what it sounds like. Disintegration is the while this album is great, but this to me, this was just the lead up and right. disintegration was the be all end all. And you, you can, you can look at the discography after that and, and kind of see where he went, went a little more poppy in times and, and never really captured that. It was still the cure and right. could still sell out a stadium all around the world. But there was just something about these four or five years in the in the mid to late 80s where he could just do no wrong and it just ended uh, with culmination was disintegration and it's just lovely to see the progression from where they even started yeah what's your what's your favorite song on the record who you know that 
at one point, like Mark was saying, Snake Pit, and I'm like, oh, yeah, that's a great song, that's too. That's a great song, yeah. Great song, too. Um, there's the classic, like, Just Like Heaven's just pure joy. Isn't that such a great song? Yeah. Even the day you hear it, you're just like... Well, it's, we talked it's about... Su- it's such a simple song, too, yeah. like, chord structure-wise. Yeah. I mean, that's why every person with an acoustic guitar, it's got to be, like it's it's the new smoke on the water right like everyone <laughs> learns to play it in like three songs because it's so easy but yeah. it's such a beautiful song and such a interesting song yeah every every song has this moment where you're like oh man that's amazing yeah uh icing sugar like i was saying boris williams that, that fantastic drummer loves that drummer but shiver and shake like fight is if you're going to end an album what a great way to end an album yeah. Is fight. Uh, so icing sugar, but probably again going back to uh, what I said earlier. All I want, freaking guitar intro, so good. Right. Uh, yeah, I would tend to agree with you. I think it might be my favorite on the track too. I have a soft spot for just like heaven. Um, uh, hot, hot, hot. I completely forgot existed until I heard it on this. I went, oh my <laughs> really? Gosh, that's uh, the yeah. that's the one that's like the f- when I heard we were doing that was the first song that came to my mind. Oh, yeah, because yeah, the video just got played so much. Yeah, yeah. I uh, I completely forgot existed, but now that you're saying <laughs> that, I completely remember the video. Yeah. Um, I really like the catch because I like that. Um, mm. I like that snuck out of nowhere. As wow, this sounds so Velvet Undergroundy uh like the the way the vocal delivery in that is very lou reed like so i i enjoyed that the kiss blew my mind because i never honestly i don't think i've ever heard it so when it came on i was just like beautiful first song what the hell is this like what this this is not my envisioning of the cure um so that one was uh that was taken from me but yeah i'm I'm kind of with you all i want is such a such a stellar song with I'm, going through it now and as we're doing this it's like i couldn't see the kiss anywhere on the on the uh else on the album tracking i couldn't see mm. catch anywhere else torture if only tonight we could sleep it's just it's, nice it's, track it's like it's like he he just sat down and i'm like this is the perfect track listing track mm. order and it works you know that's that's an art form in itself because back then back then you had you were cds were out but you were everyone was still focusing on sides so you had two sides to play with you had a start and a uh, and a middle and then and then a middle start and then an end right yeah so what's our first song what's our middle song what's the first song on the second side and there was an art form to it and you go to any classic album and you're like, like, what's the best song? What's the best first song on side two of any yeah. classic album, right? And there's a there's a there's a method to it. Whereas here you have a new medium, right? In 1987, is this album being tracked as a record, mm-hmm. or is this being tracked as a CD? I'm gonna say probably they're still figuring it out at this time. Yeah, exactly. They, they don't. Right? They don't. So know. it's amazing they were able to make it. Yeah. like this when it's tracking for two different mediums. You know yeah, what I mean? exactly. So I. I'm thinking at this point, if you're coming out of the 70s, early 80s, you're still thinking vinyl, and you're right. still thinking two sides, in this case, four sides or whatever. Right. And uh, so they're still tracking that way. This is not built for streaming, this album. <laughs> Agreed.
Thanks to Wadi for letting us use his song In My Heart as our theme song. And thanks to Mark from the amazing band Hammock for joining us this week. Uh, definitely go check out their latest album, Love in the Void. And uh, yeah, just to mash yourself in their, their amazing music. You'll, uh, it's so awesome. And most importantly, thanks to you for listening to The Sound Effect. If you enjoyed today's episode, please share it on social media. Uh, give it a shout out. Give it a share. Do anything you can. Word of mouth is the best way to, uh, to spread the love about this show. And if you can subscribe, even better. And remember, there's always a great record out there just waiting to be discovered. So keep listening. Keep listening.